And this is what it says. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see a brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those sin, those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, by being in the Son of and his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. But well, we're drawing our short stay in the book of 1 John to a close today before we embark on a new series starting next week in the summer, looking at the parables of Jesus together. And if you've been with us over the past few weeks as we've opened up this book of 1 John together, you will know that we've seen this imperative which has been placed upon believers to walk in the light, to live like we are saved, to keep his commands and keep abiding in him. We don't do these things to earn God's favor. We don't do these things to earn salvation. We already have that if we put our trust in the Lord Jesus, rather out of the overflow of everything that God has done for us. We say, God, what can I do but totally and utterly live for you? And as we draw this sermon series to a close today in 1 John, I want us to get really practical together this morning and focus together on the subject of prayer. Because here's the thing, we often talk as Christians, don't we, about having this relationship with God. In fact, it's that old cliche that Christians roll out time and time again. Christianity is not a religion, but it's a relationship. But the simple fact is, you can't have a relationship with anyone unless you communicate with them. And you certainly cannot have an intimate relationship with anyone unless you are constantly communicating with them. That's why our deepest relationships are with those people that we speak to most frequently. Yet, I wonder if I was to ask this morning, truly ask... How many of us here in this room and watching online struggle with the concept of prayer? I wonder how many of us would admit to that. And here's the encouraging truth today, because the reality is, to some extent, I think we all struggle with the concept of prayer. But if you find yourself struggling with prayer, you are not alone. We can go back to Jesus' time and we can see Jesus when he is at his most stressed, when he is, is, is his most vexed, when he is at his most perplexed. 
needing to have people around him who are going to pray. So he goes off to a garden with his closest friends and he says to his friends, guys, listen, I need you to pray for me today. I need you to stay awake and to pray while I go on a little bit further. And that's exactly what happens. Jesus goes on on his own and prays, leaving his friends behind to pray for him. And Jesus returns and what does he find? He finds his closest friends, those who are most loyal to him, those who said, yes, we'll stay awake and we'll pray fast asleep. And he says to them, could you have not stayed awake for one hour? And then Jesus says this, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The fact of the matter is, if we're being honest together this morning, intellectually, we all know that prayer is a vital component of the Christian walk. But For some of us, if we're being honest, prayer feels very unnatural to us. The enemy has really discouraged us to pray. And as a result, we simply don't know how to pray at times. And so we just give up and we put it to one side. We put it on the shelf. We might say a prayer when we're having our dinner to say thank you to God. But for some of us, that's about the extent of our prayer life and this morning if we're being honest as well we've all heard stories haven't we of absolute powerhouses of prayer we've all heard testimonies about people who pray and they see things happen people like George Muller for example who was this incredible man of God who started several orphanages through faith and through prayer thinking about him for a second one story that we could share about his extraordinary prayer life on one occasion there was a little girl named Abigail who was playing in his garden and he comes out one day and he says to this little girl come and see what God is about to do and he takes this little girl to the dining room of one of the orphanages there are plates set out there are cups set out there are cutlery set out ready for breakfast but they were all empty there was no food in the dishes there was no food in the larder there was absolutely nothing for them to eat and Muller turns to the children of this orphanage and he says children you know that we cannot be late for school And then lifting up his hands in prayer, he prays, Dear Father, thank you for what we are about to receive and thank you for what we are about to eat. And according to the account, as soon as he finished praying, there was a knock at the door and a baker was stood at the door and he says, Mr. Muller, I just had this sense that you had nothing to eat. God woke me up in the night and disturbed me. So I got up and I started to bake bread for the orphanage. Here this morning is some bread for you to eat. And Mr. Muller thanked the baker and he thanked God and he said to the children, children, we don't just have bread to eat this morning, we have fresh bread. As soon as he finished speaking, there was another knock at the door and it was a milkman whose wheel had come off of his cart that morning and there was no way that he could transport the milk which was on the cart. So he knocks on the orphanage's door and he says to them, listen, here's some milk, I need to get rid of it because I need to get my cart back to the depot in order to fix it. We've all heard stories of great prayer warriors closer to home. People in this church who have been here for a while tell me about a lady called Val who passed away before I 
turned up at the church. I didn't know the lady, but several people speak so fondly about her and about what an absolute prayer warrior she was and how much of an encouragement she was to so many people here in this church. And it's stories, isn't it, like Muller's and like Val's that we hear about people who can absolutely pray and pray with fervor and pray with fire that warm our hearts. But if we're honest, they also leave us a little bit despondent at times too because we look at our own lives and we look at our own prayer and we think well that's not how it works for me I'm not a prayer warrior I've prayed and I don't see God move I pray in faith and it just doesn't seem to make any difference but what one John shows us today is that if we have a relationship with Christ no matter how weak our prayer life feels at times we can have confidence when we pray Honestly, church, if we as individuals and as a church can begin to truly grasp these truths that we're talking about together this morning, I genuinely believe that it will transform our own walks with Christ and it will transform our church. If we can truly grasp, and I mean really grasp, what scripture teaches us about prayer and the difference that it can make, we will pray and see mountains moved in Jesus' name. And the first thing that I want us to look at together today is I want us to hone in together on verse 14 of what we have read and ask the question, how do we have confidence in prayer and when we pray? Verse 14 says this, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. What an important truth that this is for us to grasp this morning, church, that if you are a believer in Jesus, you can have confidence in approaching the throne of God. One of my oldest friends is a guy called Dan. We were best friends growing up. We probably lived in each other's pockets most of our teenage years. If you wanted to know where Dan was, he was with Luke. If you wanted to know where Luke was, he was with Dan. And my friend Dan is still a close friend of mine. We talk often. But here's the thing about Dan. He's got many, many qualities, but communication, or at least responding, is not his strong point. I don't know if you've got a friend like that who you would try to get hold of and they just won't answer you. I'll often go down to Portsmouth and I'll try to meet up with Dan and I'll send him a text message and say, Dan, I'm down in Portsmouth next week. Do you want to meet up? Let's get together. Let's go and have some fun together. And nothing. And I'll get down to Portsmouth and I'll be a little bit annoyed and I'll think to myself, right, He obviously doesn't want to meet up. I am not going to bother. And literally, the day I arrive, I get a phone call which says, all right, Luke, where are we meeting then? You know, it's not that Dan doesn't want to meet up with me. It's not that Dan doesn't want to hang out. He's seen the text message. He's seen the communication. He just doesn't respond to it. He doesn't feel he's got the need to. He feels that because something has happened, then it's going to happen. Have you got a friend like that, I wonder? People that you try to get hold of and yet actually you get nothing from. There was another occasion where he phoned me and he said to me, Luke, I really want to hang out. When can we get together? And I gave him a date. I said, I think I'm free this date. Let's do it then. And he says to me, sounds great. I just got to check with my wife. Give me half an hour and I'll get back to you. Three days later, I phoned him up and said, Dan, this is the longest half an hour that I've ever known in my life life you know what when it comes to God there's never a do not disturb sign we never come to God and we ask him something or we bring something to him and he doesn't respond the beauty of this God that we worship he is always available to us and we can have confidence in approaching him 
He's not like my friend Dan, which, by the way, I told him I was sharing this yesterday. We chatted, and he said, as soon as I said to him, I'm going to use you as a sermon illustration. He said to me, that's about my response time, isn't it? I said, yeah, absolutely. It is exactly that. But when we come to God, God is always available to us. We can approach him with confidence. And the idea that John presents here for us is that when we have confidence in approaching the throne of God, it's this idea of freedom. It's the idea which is echoed in Psalm 116 when we read these words. I love the Lord's for he has heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy because he turned his ear to me and I will call on him as long as I live. How amazing is that? I love the Lord. Why? There are many reasons that we love the Lord, but he hears my voice. He turns his ear to me. What is man that you are mindful of me? Yet you are mindful of me. Me. Little old me, with all my screw-ups, with all my mess-ups, with everything that has gone wrong, with everything that I've done wrong in my life, with all the things that I hate about myself. God, you love me, and you want a relationship with me, and I can approach you with confidence as a result of that. It's a rare thing to find, isn't it? People in our lives that we can be completely open with, completely transparent with, those people that we can tell anything to without the fear of rejection or the fear that they might love us a little bit less. For many of us, we may only find one or two of those kind of people in our lives at any given time. And it's right for us to pursue those kind of earthly relationships, but they're never, ever perfect. Those people that we are closest to will still upset us at times. We will still let them down and we will still offend them. And whilst we need those relationships, the idea that John is getting at here is that a relationship with God in that way, when we choose intimacy with the Almighty, gives us complete confidence that we always have access to him. And he not only delights in our communion with him, he promises to hear us. So how can we be confident this morning? And how should that confidence shape our prayer life? Well, firstly, confidence in prayer comes from knowing that we are right with God through a relationship with Jesus. Skipping back to 1 John chapter 4 together this morning, one of the chapters we left out of this particular series, we read these words. This is how God showed his love among us. He has sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God but that he loved us and he, gave, he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We can have confidence in approaching the throne of God because Jesus Christ has made the way. If you were at lunch club a couple of weeks ago, forgive me, I'm going to share a story that I shared at that particular lunch club. But there was once a soldier who fought in the American Civil War. This soldier, he had three brothers who fought alongside him in the American Civil War. His three brothers were killed in battle. And this man, he thinks to himself, oh my goodness, if I get killed then my mother is going to lose all of her children in one foul swoop. There is no way that I can let that happen. So he goes to his commanding officer and he tells him his predicament. He tells him the, the mess that he is in. And he's got an understanding commanding officer. He's got one who has compassion. And he says to him, listen, I can't allow you to leave the army. There is no way that I can do that. That's beyond my pay grade. But there is one man who can. 
and I'm going to let you go and speak to him. You can go to Washington and seek an audience with the President of the United States. So this man does, he packs his bag and he heads up to Washington and he gets to Washington and he gets to the White House and he sees this big gate around the White House and he breaks down and he weeps because he looks at the security which is around the White House and he thinks to himself, there is no way that I can get an audience with the president. And as he sat on the gates of the White House crying his eyes out, a little boy comes up to him and the boy says to him, hey mister, why are you crying? And the man breaks down and he tells him his story, tells him about the heartache of losing his brothers and his poor old mother at home worrying that his last son might die too. And the boy listens and then the boy says to him, well, there is one way that you could see the president today. Follow me. And the boy, he takes him by the hands and he leads him around the back of this big fence to a little gate at the back and the boy opens it and he walks through. And the man's amazed and he stood there thinking to himself, wow, I'm now stood in the grounds of the White House. This is amazing. Maybe, just maybe, I will get to see the president today. But the boy, he doesn't stop there. He goes to a back door of the White House and he opens it up and he walks inside the White House. And the man's thinking to himself, oh my goodness, now I'm stood inside the White House. My dreams might come true. I might get the audience with the one that I need to have it with after all. But the boy doesn't stop there. He takes him up a long flight of stairs and along a corridor to a room which is marked War Cabinet. And the boy confidently opens the door and he says, Dad, there's a man out here that wants to see you. Now, I don't know if that's a true story or not. It probably isn't a true story. But what it does is it gives us a picture and a glimpse, really, of what Jesus Christ has done for us. He has taken us by the hand to a place where we have no right to go on our own. We can't approach the throne of God because of all the wrong things that we've ever thought, said and done, which the Bible calls sin. We have no right to enter into his presence. Yet Jesus came. He lives this perfect life and he dies a death on a cross. And as a result, he allows us to enter into the throne room of grace with confidence. We don't need to have an appointment. We have total access. We can come to him and we can lay our prayers before him knowing that when we pray, we are heard only because Jesus has made the way. Does that mean that every prayer that we ever pray is going to be answered in the way that we want it to be answered? No, it does not. How many parents, I wonder, in this room know that the quickest way to ruin your child is to say yes to exactly every one of their requests all of the time? Child doesn't know what is best for them. And as a result, their selfish desires take over. Please can I have more sweets? Please can I have more money? Please can I have this, that, that, whatever? I don't know. But if that is the case when it comes to an earthly relationship between their father and their child, how much more is a God who is a good God, who knows how to give his children good gifts, going to look after us and not simply grant all of our selfish desires as well? Which brings me this morning to the second reason that we can have confidence in prayer and when we come before God with our requests. Secondly, we can be confident that God hears our prayers when they line up with God's will. Verse 15 of our passage today says this, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we will have what we have asked him. How do we know that he hears us? By knowing what 
God's will is. The key to knowing and understanding God's will in our lives and in the world is familiarity. First and foremost, familiarity with God's word. If scripture describes itself to us as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, then we want to know what God's will is. How much should we be getting into God's words on a daily basis? When we want to determine a sense of where God might be leading us in every sphere of life, how important is it for us to look into God's word? You know, one of the biggest issues for Christians today is that when we're attempting to determine what God's will might be for our lives and what God might have in store for us and what God might be doing in our lives, we can be so easily led by our emotions rather than scripture. We take on this kind of worldly mentality at times which says, do you know what, if this feels right, if this feels good, then it must be right and God must be leading me down this path but here's the thing, sometimes God will take us down a harder path in our lives. Sometimes God will take us down a narrow path where we look and we think this feels a little bit uncertain. And when we're led by our emotions rather than scripture, often we end up shunning it. And here's the reality, when it comes to getting familiar with scripture, if we want to know God's will, the reality is everyone is offended by something in scripture. Absolutely everyone is offended by something in scripture. If you're not offended by something in the word of God, you're not reading the word of God correctly. Whether that's what the Bible tells us about radical forgiveness, whether that's what the Bible tells us about how to conduct ourselves in the relationships that we have, whether that's what the Bible tells us about giving. There are parts of the Bible that if we're honest, simply don't sit comfortably with us because they're not supposed to sit comfortably with us scripture is meant to test and to root out those selfish ambitions and those selfish desires so that we become more like the people that we were always intended to be and here's the amazing thing when we familiarize ourselves with scripture when we get into God's word in such a way where we are seeking God's face, our prayer life begins to change. Psalm 37 verse 4 says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your hearts. When we begin to familiarize ourselves with God's word through scripture, when we begin to catch a glimpse of God's heart through his word, we begin to pray in accordance with God's will. And the desires of God's heart become the desires of our heart too. Of course, the other way that we can begin to familiarise ourselves with God's will is to familiarise ourselves with Jesus Christ himself. Coming back to John's idea of abiding in him, we read this in John chapter 15 and verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You know, one of the reasons I believe that we struggle at times with this concept of prayer is because so often we see prayer as this kind of last resort for all of our problems. When we've exhausted every other avenue, when we've sought every other way to try to sort things out in our life, then we will pray. 
But what Jesus is talking about here in John chapter 15 is this kind of lifelong communion with him. The imagery of abiding in the vine essentially is an Old Testament picture where we see the nation of Israel described as the choicest vine in the book of Isaiah. Israel were chosen by God to bring about good fruit, but ultimately they couldn't fulfill the calling that God had put on their lives. Centuries later, Jesus comes, who the Bible describes as the exact representative representation of God's glory, the true vine. And it's only by remaining in him that we can ever produce the kind of fruit that Jesus calls us to produce. You see, it's familiarity with Jesus which helps us grow more like Jesus. And as a result, then we begin to catch a glimpse of an understanding of our prayer and our prayer life. And it's ultimately then, when we're familiar with Jesus, when we're surrounded by the life of Jesus, when we immerse ourselves in everything that Jesus has, that our prayer life ultimately begins to make an impact. You know, when it comes to prayer, sometimes we, we read stories in scripture like that story, that parable of the unjust judge where the woman goes and she asks and asks and asks again and eventually the judge gives in and we read stories like that and sometimes we read it through the lens of, well, that means our prayer life is about just keep coming to God until we wear him down. You know, like a child comes to their parents and says, please can I have sweets, please can I have sweets, please can I have sweets. And in the end, the parent just goes, all right then, here's the sweets. And we view God a little bit like that sometimes when we come to prayer. When the Bible talks about persistence in prayer, it's not about wearing God down. In fact, George Muller put it like this, prayer is not about overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of God's willingness. Do you see how that changes the picture of prayer? We're not about coming to God and saying, please, 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 until God says, all right then, you can have what you want. I'm just fed up of listening to you moan and go on and on and on. God doesn't do that. Prayer is not about trying to overcome God's reluctance. God is not reluctant to answer our prayers. God is willing to answer our prayers. God delights in answering our prayers. And what we see from the words of Jesus is that is exactly true. What we see in this book in 1 John is that that is exactly true. When you pray, God wants to answer your prayers. Maybe you're here today and prayer is not something which is on your agenda. Maybe you have become a little bit disillusioned or disengaged when it comes to prayer. Today, I believe that God is calling each and every one of us again into communion with him. He's calling us to look again and come back to a relationship of prayer, to give prayer another go. Because as John has shown us in this passage today, we have complete access to him. We have complete access to the one who knows the end from the beginning, the one who laid the foundations of the entire universe. And when we pray in accordance with his will, he hears us and he acts. So here's the question then, church. If this is true, what should we be praying for? We've familiarized ourselves with the word of God. We're abiding in Christ. Where should the focus of our prayer life be? The simple answer is actually we should be people who pray about everything. Philippians 4 verse 6 tells us to be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer, supplication, and with thanksgiving to make our requests known unto God. But more specifically than that, 
1 John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 says this. If you see a brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. As a church, we are called to pray for his church, for the building up of the body, for the deepening of our brothers and sisters' relationships with Christ, and that Christ will continue that good work that he has started in each and every one of us. Essentially, as the church of Jesus Christ, we are called to the same ministry that Jesus now fulfills at the right hand of the Father when we read these words in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he lives always to intercede for them. Jesus today is interceding at the right hand of the Father for you. Jesus today is praying for you. And we are called to pray for one another. We're called to pray that the church is built up, that sin is removed, and that we become the people that we're always called to be for the furtherance of his kingdom. So let me ask you right now, church, how is your prayer life? Be honest this morning. How are you doing when it comes to a life of prayer, to a life of communication with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Do you take that access to the throne of God seriously? Do you approach the throne of God with confidence for yourself? Or if you're honest, have you maybe given up? Do you know where God might be leading you at this point in time in your life? Do you have a sense of God's will? Do you know what God is doing right now? Because today, I believe, here right now, God wants to answer some prayers. And I believe that God wants to move in this place this morning. We have confidence that we can approach the throne of grace any time, day or night. We can come to him. We can ask anything according to his will, the Bible says, and he will answer. So church, let's take that challenge seriously today. Let's believe that God wants to move and do something here among us in our lives and in our church. I'm going to